Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. You made it. The end of the week. We're glad you're spending it with us here on Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. What has been, I don't know if you feel this way, but I certainly do. Man, this has been a long week, right? I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars played a football game five days ago. Doesn't that feel like two or three weeks ago now that they lost that game up in Nashville? Mike Caldwell was fired just four days ago. Mike Vrabel in Nashville was fired just three days ago. Good heavens, it's been a long week. A lot going on. Certainly a lot to talk about with the Jaguars, with the Alabama situation, the Florida State situation, which is where I'm going to begin in one moment. So there is a ton to get into as we close it out with you over the next two hours here on Hacker After Dark. Guest lineup looks like this in less than 15 minutes. My buddy Ben Troop, former All-American tight end at the University of Florida. We will talk a little bit about Billy Napier and the Gators, but primarily Ben wanted to come on to give his thoughts on the collapse. Here in Jacksonville, he had a lot to say about the Jaguars' 1-5 finish. So Ben Troop coming up in less than 15 minutes. Also, my buddy Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4 will give his thoughts on the Jaguars and maybe more importantly now, where they go from here as the offseason really kicks in. We know the Jaguars have been granted permission from, I believe, three teams to interview assistant coaches they've been blocked by two teams you cannot interview another coordinator without the team's permission but because that's a lateral move right d coordinator to d coordinator but if you want to interview a defensive backs coach with the jets for example former gator marquan manual you're allowed to do that that would be a promotion for marquan manual he is one of the guys that reportedly the jaguars are interested in talking to about their open defensive coordinator Position. So more on the Jaguars coming up in just a bit, but I do want to begin with Mike Norvell and a brand new contract in Tallahassee. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Rewind the clock back 17 months. It's not a long time. August of 2022. You could argue 17 months ago, coming into the 2022 season, that Florida State head football coach Mike Norvell was on the hottest seat in America. 
first two years, no bowl games, under 500 records. They were downright awful the COVID year. They weren't a lot better in 2021. So coming into 2022, Florida State fans, you may not admit it now, but you know as well as I do, you were talking buyout. You were talking Deion Sanders. You were talking a lot of things. You were not talking about Mike Norvell. But winning cures everything, right? Fast forward now, 17 months later, and reportedly Alabama was very interested in Mike Norvell, which is why Florida State stepped up to the table to give that man a brand new eight-year contract, paying him in excess of $10 million per year. Mike Norvell got paid today in Tallahassee, Florida. Good for him. I like Mike Norvell. He's done a terrific job turning around that program. I have proclaimed him the king of the transfer portal. He's doing it again this year. That guy is ridiculous in the transfer portal. And in large part, the transfer portal is what has allowed Florida State to do what they have done over the past two seasons. Mike Norvell went from the hot seat 17 months ago to an $80 million man today. Florida Gator fans, I got a question for you. Do you think 17 months from now, Billy Napier is going to get an eight-year contract extension for $80 million? I don't either, by the way. Heck no. And I'm keeping that G-rated. But Florida State fans would have said the same thing had I asked them that question about Norvell in August of 2022. Things can change very quickly. Very, very quickly. 17 months is not a long time in the world of college football. But it was enough time for Mike Norvell to go from the hot seat to one of the most well-paid coaches in America. Could Billy Napier do something similar? Now, let's be honest about this. And Florida State fans, you won't like this, but that's fine. It is the reality. Sometimes reality is not fun. Florida State's had an easier path because they play in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Florida, their schedule coming up in 2024 is probably the hardest schedule in the country. With games against Texas and Florida State and Miami and UCF and Georgia and Ole Miss and Texas A&M and LSU. I mean, it is crazy how hard the Florida Gators schedule is in 2024. So am I betting money that Billy Napier will have a similar turnaround in Gainesville coming into year three the way Mike Norvell had in Tallahassee? Coming into year three, no, I'm not betting money on that. I would tend to doubt that's going to happen. But it could. I've told Gator fans, I've told you for a while now, follow the blueprint of Florida State. Florida State fans wanted blood after two years. They give up a 60-yard broken coverage to Jacksonville State to end the game. Might have been rock bottom for the Seminole program, at least under Mike Norvell. But they have completely and totally done a 180, and that results in a brand new contract today. 
So you don't want to get rid of somebody before it's too early. And I believe it is still too early for Billy Napier. Now, Mike Norvell did turn it around in year three. And let's be real about this. Had Mike Norvell not turned it around in 2022, had Mike Norvell gone six and six, five and seven, maybe even seven and five in 2022, odds are we would not be talking about a contract extension today. But he won in year three. And he obviously won big in year four. Can Billy Napier win in year three? It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But you got to get the three years, man. You got to get three solid years. That is what Florida State allowed Mike Norvell. He was able to turn that program around. Florida's going to give Billy Napier at least three years. If it doesn't work in 2024, Odds are Billy Napier may not be there in 2025. But I applaud Florida for giving him at least a third year to find out, albeit facing the toughest schedule in the country coming into this year. But again, congratulations to Mike Norvell. Terrific. And and look, Alabama hires Kalen DeBoer from, from Washington. Quick, raise your hand. If in September you had Kalen DeBoer as the new Alabama coach in January. Look, he's the hottest coach right now in America, probably, well, maybe behind Norvell and Lane Kiffin, but he's certainly one of the hottest coaches. But an interesting hire, man. I don't think that guy has any ties to the Southeastern Conference. Because you thrived in the Pac-12, we'll see. You know, it wasn't long ago a guy named Brian Harson was a really good coach at Boise State. Really good coach. He comes down to Auburn, and it is a disaster. No, I'm not saying DeBoer is going to do that, but it does give you a little bit of pause, right? They also don't say anything about Brian Kelly. Uh, For, well... Well, Not yeah. being in the South, you're at Notre Dame, you're at Cincinnati. Yeah, but Brian Kelly was the—I mean, Brian Kelly was the established coach at Notre Dame for over y- yes, a decade. Yes, but but the same but the same thing they're saying about DeBoer is well, it's about fit in the South. They said standing about Brian Kelly, and then yeah, that no, I, came away pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, I disagree with that. I mean, I, you, they said the same thing about Kelly, but I'm sorry, when you're a head coach at Notre Dame for a decade, you have a little more street cred than being two years at Washington. That is night and day. And you're right, Brian Kelly had no ties to the SEC. He's done a great job. But again, being the head coach at Notre Dame, I think weighs a little bit more over a decade than being the head coach at UW for two years. Regardless, we'll see. I wouldn't want to follow Nick Saban. I think that's a tough job, man. Tough job. But Alabama's got their man. Florida State retains their man. All is right with the world right now. But again, great day for Florida State. Seminole fans, take a bow. Even those of you that wanted Mike Norvell fired. And you know who you are. Odds are it was most of you listening right now. You may never admit it, but you know it. Good thing they didn't listen to you. Because you got a heck of a coach there in Tallahassee. No question about that. 641-1010 is the phone number on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Coming up next, Ben Troop, former All-American tight end. 
at the University of Florida, also a former Tennessee Titan. We'll talk to Ben about Billy Napier and the Gators, but Ben wanted to come on, and I wanted to give him the forum to talk about the collapse of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was awfully fired up about it. And we'll talk to Ben Troop about it next on Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season has come to an end, losing five of their last six games in what you could argue is probably the biggest late-season collapse in the history of the Jaguar franchise. Where do we go from here? That's what we're talking about this week and talking to a man that knows all about playing in the National Football League. He was an All-American at the University of Florida. He played for, well, the hated Tennessee Titans, especially this week after what happened on Sunday. That's my buddy Ben Troop, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ben, how you doing? Ben, I'm doing great, Ryan. Always a pleasure coming on with you, sir. Hey, Ben, certainly appreciate it. All right, we usually have you on to talk Florida, and we'll do that towards the end of our conversation. But you and I were talking over the weekend, you being a former All-American at Florida, you being a former NFL tight end. Ben, I got to ask you, man, the Jaguars were 8-3, and three, and they were talking about the number one seed in the American Football Conference six weeks ago. They were cleaning out their lockers today. I mean, what happened? In your opinion, what on earth happened? I – I think it's two things. One, I think the thing about a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you know, Trevor Lawrence doesn't seem to get the same level of scrutiny uh, that, that other quarterbacks get when you talk about because people focus too much on what he does well and what he doesn't do well. Trevor Lawrence is a really, 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 really good quarterback. People wanted to put him in the elite category, and he's not elite. I think Trevor Lawrence – had the same problem as like a Josh Allen with Buffalo. They're so good when they're good that we forget about how bad they are when they're bad. And I think the thing about Doug Peterson is Doug Peterson, give him a lot of credit. It was so bad under, you know, Urban Meyer. He just wanted to create a winning environment. And I think he's created a winning environment, but you cannot go the first 10 weeks of the season, eight and three and fall off a cliff the last half of the season. And yes, you did not make the playoffs because you lost to the Titans, but it's the manner in which, you lost it. The Titans looked like the team trying to get into the playoffs, and the Jag- the Jaguars looked like a team that was 5'11 at the time. So it, it to me, it's, it's it's Trevor Lawrence and him not getting that scrutiny to say, look, man, you got to find a way to win it. I, I realize what you did last year in the playoffs, that comeback victory against the Chargers, but you also had them, them four or five picks in the first half. Most quarterbacks get benched, but they stuck with him. You go into this season, it was really your your it was really your division to lose, and you lost it. You lost it to a First-year head coach in D'Amico Ryan and a first-year rookie, you know, obviously, and C.J. Stroud, which I think both of those guys are going to do great. But I, I would say it's Trevor Lawrence, one, and I would say Doug Peterson, too, because the the attention to detail got to be there. You cannot lose. Yes, it's to my Titans, and, you know, we know you guys are the rival, but you can't lose to a Titans team that dear, I, depleted ain't even the word. That was That's going to be one of the, I don't know, worst put-together Titans teams you ever going to see, and they still came out with a victory. That That's 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 too, to me, Jack the Jacksonville fans deserve better than that, but Trevor Lawrence and calling his own play, Running it, running. That was not a quarterback sneak call. Not, not from the play I seen from the backside. And Doug Peterson got to take the blame in this one. Former Gator All-American tight end Ben Troop here with us. Ben, there's a lot of branches to this story. Let's begin a year ago in the off season. The Jaguars did nothing, right? General Manager Trent Baalke 
It's as if he said, we're good. We went 9-8. and eight. We won a playoff game. We're good. We're going to run it back. They added Calvin Ridley, but obviously that was at the trade deadline last year. They did not sign one impact free agent. The only reason they got a free agent that did anything was kicker Brandon McManus because Denver released him in May. I mean, in hindsight now, what an awful decision just to run it back with the team that went 9-8 and eight a year ago. Yeah, and, and this and this goes back. The whole Boston situation is always going to be a head scratcher because once again, that was a big that was a big uh, point of contention. I mean, what are you going to be? What are you going to do at the GM position or whatever? Are you going to be able to go out and make some moves? Yes, you hit on all three fair agents a year a year prior. You know, we talking about Zay Jones and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. Shout out to him. You know, going over 100 catches, but then. You know, you get you get Tank Bigsby, yeah, in in the draft. But everybody knows good teams win in the offseason. You can't be booking on some rookies that you get, you know, in the draft, and maybe some, uh, you know, some I mean, some team friendly contracted, uh, you know, free agents. They didn't do anything, and it comes back to hurt you because as great as good as you were a year ago, you wanted to take the next step. And and I mean, you know, uh, Ryan, I saw what you said too. You know, when people talk about uh, Trevor Lawrence. People are going to be thinking, do you give him a big deal? I will be very, 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 very cautious when you come to a Trevor Lawrence because you see what happens when you put a lot of money, a.k.a. a Kyler Murray, a Russell Wilson, behind some of these big-name big, big name quarterbacks because you give them – I give you money based on what you could be. Sometimes it's based on what you've done, but what what are you moving forward? Because Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram is a top-five tight end. I mean, I mean, Kirk and Ridley and Zay Jones, you ain't going to get a better, you know, a better uh, trio of receivers. And obviously, Travis Etienne is a top, he's a top 10, top 15 running back. And you got a pretty good defense. I mean, Josh Allen, I mean, what are they going to have to pay him this offseason? And, you, you know, uh, 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 Trayvon Walker took a huge step in year two, and you ain't make the playoffs. Why? Because Balky didn't do his job last offseason. Y'all didn't do your job during the season. And I think it's just a, it's just a, it's just really, really, it's, it's really, really, you know, uh, bad right now in Jacksonville. Because to me, Jacksonville, unfortunately, is in a division that doesn't have an identity. No one cares about the AFC South. You don't have, you don't have, you know, today's uh, Peyton Manning and, you know, Dallas Clark and Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison running that division as far as the faces. That's over with. Now it's what? D'Amico Ryans, C.J. Stroud, and maybe Anthony Richardson when he come back. It was supposed to be the Jags. They were supposed to have the division locked up with two or three games left in the season. Here it is coming down to the last game of the season. I, the bulky situation is always going to be a head scratcher because that's the same bulky that went out there and got an Urban Meyer, which that lets you know all you need to know about his decision-making. Yes, you get Doug Peterson, which was a layup. You know, but I just think that it's the Jazz don't have to do a full rebuild. And unfortunately, with a very, very young, talented division around them, the Jazz could be scratching the claw come 2024 when they should have been the front runner in 2023. And Ben, you know as well as I do, and you're exactly right, the wide receivers, the tight end, the running back, I mean, they have the talent at the skill positions. But I made this point, and I'm not breaking any news here. Anybody that knows football would tell you this. Your offense is only as good as your offensive line. And the offensive line here in Jacksonville was awful. Now, you could argue the two tackles, Robinson and Harrison, were good when Robinson was in there. But the interior of that line, they could not run the ball the entire year. Trevor took a beating. The reason that he has knee issues and ankle issues and all this stuff is because defenses were teeing off on him. You can have the greatest skill position players on planet Earth. If you don't have an offensive line worth their salt, it doesn't matter the Jaguars got some serious um, 
damage control to do with that O-line this offseason. Oh, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, and and and, and that's that's the part that people try to get past. People say, man, Lee Skibbles. I say, yeah, but it don't matter if the quarterback runs for his life. It doesn't matter if he's on his back. It doesn't matter if he's getting hit. And Trevor Lawrence is starting to realize to survive in the National Football League, man, as much as I love Ingram and Jones and Kirk, you know, and Lawrence and company, man, I got to have five guys in front of me, particularly at the center and guard position, which the quickest way to the quarterback is right, is right there in front of the center of them guards. You got to find a way to get better guard play, and this is the thing about the Jags: the guards and the, they, they stand out so bad in the game. You shouldn't notice guard play if you're just a casual football watcher. But you know, like, man, what's going on? Why can't they? I said, I said, Trevor, I said, Trevor. I mean, Etienne, Travis Etienne, he's gonna be he's gonna be running in between them tackles because he tried to run anywhere in them guard between them. It gets really, really Russell. Yes, they're gonna have to address in the offseason. And you gotta ask yourself, hey, man, this is our window. Like, most teams that never have a window of opportunity to make the playoffs consistency. You don't believe me? The most, to me, the Jags are very, very similar to the Chargers. They got everything on offense but offensive line. They got a defense, but they can't stop people when needed. And you start looking around saying, what's going on? Man, it starts with culture. Doug Peterson still has to build a culture. The, 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 the late remnants of uh, Urban Meyer, it's, it's still some of that stuff in there. And the thing about Balky is, as long as they allow him to make decisions or lack thereof, who knows? Because everybody thought it was Balky. It was Coughlin. It was Urban Meyer. No, it was Chris Doyle. It was Tim Tebow. No, it's the culture of the Jags. You got rid of the head coach, but you still got the GM. You still got some stuff going on. And I just don't – like I said, I don't like having to pick the Jags. But I thought this year – I said, dude, from what I've seen in 2022, the Jags are going to run – especially having two rookie, two other um, rookie quarterbacks starting and you still didn't win it. That's the, that's the biggest thing of concern is a year we were supposed to win this thing, the greatest culture in, the greatest culture in the NFL is the Steelers. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season, and he can do it with or without, you know, uh, being Rosberger, you know, Antonio Brown and all those guys. But he finds a way to have the best culture. The Jags got to get their culture right. And like I say, C.J. Stroud is winning. I don't see no pro bowlers on that offense. I don't see no great offensive line, but they got a good enough team to win the division. But why are they trying to figure it out? The Jags better get it right quick because a healthy Anthony Richardson, which you know they're going to try to protect them a lot more next year, C.J. Stroud going into year two, it was supposed to be in the Jags because, like I said, the Titans going to blow it up. But I don't know I don't know how Jaguar fans are feeling there. They should feel slighted because if you look at that roster top to bottom, they should be headed to the playoffs, and the fact that they're not is really, 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 really head-scratching. A couple of more for former Florida Gator, All-American tight end Ben Troop. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ben, quickly to the defense, and not to thoroughly break it down, uh, you mentioned Josh Allen. I thought he and Trayvon Walker, I thought Walker really came of age uh, from three and a half sacks his rookie year to ten sacks in year two. Trayvon certainly silencing some of his doubters. Uh, but one of the Jaguar players, Andrew Wingard, in the locker room yesterday had an interesting quote. I don't have the exact wording, but essentially I'm going to paraphrase. He said there was not a lot of assignment football played down the stretch. Now, Ben, you tell me, because you're the guy that played in the SEC and the NFL, but when I hear a player say that, does that mean he's saying guys were freelancing out there and doing whatever they wanted to do? That's exactly what he's saying. And the thing is, it has to it has to be a certain level of frustration for him to say that publicly because you know that like I know Ryan you can't unsay it once you say it yes you leaving it for interpretation but that ain't that ain't always a good thing to say 
But when people say no assignment for, yeah, that means that guys could be making plays, running around, but that might not be their play to make. When they, if you're not where you're supposed to be, that's when that's when gaps open up. That's when you can't get off the field on third down. And and sometimes we look at individual, we look at individual accolades that of Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen, but you start saying to yourself, yeah, but you're still losing games. So yes, for him to say that. It's a level of frustration that's that's being talked about in the meeting room behind closed doors that's not being, you know, executed on on, on Sunday. So it's a it's a different type of NFL now. I wasn't in the NFL to where we was, I don't know, brave enough to say something publicly that that things that happen internally, but it's a different NFL. And when I say that these guys speaking out, because it, if if you making me if it looks like I'm doing the wrong thing when I'm doing the right thing, you just freelancing, hey man, at a certain point. I got I got to just be able to speak up for the defense and say something need to be said and hey if that's if that he ain't let me say this he ain't got no reason to lie I I, should, I ain't got to do but take him at his word. Ben, where are you with Trevor Lawrence moving forward? There's a lot of questions surrounding him right now. I mean, I'm I'm still I'm still all in with Trevor Lawrence because I know what he could be, but it's one of those things where Trevor Lawrence has that Eli Manning in him, and I and I say this to say. When he's good, he's really good. But he will do some things that make you go, what was that? That, that, you telling me you're going to try to score on the goal. You, you're on the one-yard line, you're trying to score. That's not a quarterback. You're going to get the ball and try to dive. You got guys, I mean, you got guards just pulling. So there was another play called. And yet, after the game, you said, look, man, I made the decision. I didn't know that. That ain't good enough. People's hopes and dreams and aspirations of going you know, later, you know, in the playoffs, it's, it's dash. I, I'm still because I always say this, uh, Ryan. If you get rid of him, who do you replace him with? It ain't a lot of great, great quarterbacking out there, and I don't want quarterbacks that other teams don't want either. I don't want a guy that no one no longer wants them with the team. They, so Trevor Lawrence is still a top ten quarterback. He's closer to nine and ten than you know than four and five. But at the same time, I still got to give him another year before I talk about franchise money. Because, like I said, you know, you just got outplayed by by a rookie quarterback who a lot of people thought it was going to take two or three years, and he don't have the roster you got. I'm all, I'm still all in on him, but I'm like you. Where I got to give him another year because he's gonna, he was the number one overall pick. He's gonna, he's gonna get Joe Burrow money just because of where he was slotted at when he got drafted, and he ain't like, ain't like he fell off a cliff with 21 touchdowns and 14 picks. You got, to, you got to be able to address some turnovers. Ben, let's end on a positive note. Um, I told you this during the year. I always thought of Evan Ingram kind of like as a guy like you. I mean, you were a tight end on the depth chart, but with the way you were built and your athleticism, you were like a tight end slash wide receiver. And I think Evan Ingram is very similar to that. And Evan Ingram caught 114 passes this year, too shy of the NFL single-season record for a tight end. I mean, what a year for Evan Ingram here in Jacksonville. I'm super duper, super duper proud and happy for Evan Ingram because I remember him. Uh, what happened yesterday in the National Football League, I don't think it's ever happened before. Both Evan Ingram and Chig and Chiggs over there with the Titans, both from Powder Springs, Georgia, I think both went to the same high school. And I don't think that's ever happened before. The thing about Evan Ingram is, Evan Ingram is the reason why everybody want a tight end like that. Evan Ingram doesn't have any flaws. He was just in the wrong system. People talk about why he wasn't that player with the Giants, because they didn't utilize him that way. Evan Ingram is a problem. 
And it's the manner in which he does the plays. I like the he plays angry when he plays, but I remember him coming out of Ole Miss. He was on, ask Nick Saban how good Evan Ingram was. You could not cover this dude. He was in, he's in the right offense with the, with the right guys around him. And he's just getting better and better and better. Evan Ingram has Travis Kelsey like ability. Yes. He does. As far as like what he means to the, to the, to that passing game. So I'm very, very happy for Evan Ingram. Wish he, wish he was still moving on uh, in the playoffs. But when you talk about a guy that's, that's grown a lot, Came here last year on a one-year deal to get a to get a contract extension. That's 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 doing the right thing to the front office. But very very happy for Evan Ingram, man. And like I said, I hope that injury bug stays as far away from him as possible because I want to see just how great he can he can continue with his time in Jacksonville. Former Florida Gator tight end Ben Troop. Ben, leave us with this. We'll have you on again closer to free agency and when spring ball starts up for the Gators. But what's your thought, Billy Napier putting together a Nice transfer portal class, and they brought in eight guys, including a guy I'm really happy for in Grayson Howard, a linebacker from Jacksonville, a transfer from South Carolina. I think could be a very good player for Florida. And uh, DJ Lagway and some of these freshmen moved in yesterday. They had a shot of video where they moved into the dorm, and they're getting ready to go. So things are progressing in the offseason for Florida right now. Yes, but listen, Billy Napier is still living up to what he does in the recruiting trail. And I, like you mentioned, DJ Lagway, Miles Graham, the son of Ernest Graham, a, a you know, teammate of mine, you know, back in the early 2000s. You talk about Grayson Allen getting the guy to come from South Carolina, come back home. He's done it slowly but surely. When you first saw, you know, the recruiter and he went from top five to top 15, people had something to say. You, he waited, waited by this time. I, listen, you get you get a big tackle from Arkansas. I like what he's doing. But but and I and I and I and I love the manner in which he's doing it. He's doing it his way. He's not he's not worrying about trying to go viral, you know, uh, every single time, you know, uh, you know, he signs somebody, but he's getting his type of guys in there. And that's scheduled in 2024. I mean, he's gonna have to go to church or do a lot of the, that schedule next year is gonna be rough, but at the same time, Ryan, I like what he's doing. And you notice when 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 Billy Napier isn't doing what people want, Twitter is going crazy. But when he's making moves, it's quiet. Ain't nobody got nothing to say. He must be making moves because people ain't got nothing but good things to say about him right now. That's a good point. There's no question about it. Former Gator, tight end Ben True. Ben, appreciate the time. We'll do it again right about the time of NFL free agency and spring ball. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season is over. Amazingly, five out of six losses to end the year and from eight and three and potentially the number one seed in the AFC playoffs to the season coming to an end. Jamal St. Sarah of Channel 4 was up in Nashville for what I would call that fiasco on Sunday. He's back here in Jacksonville and he's with us here on 1010XL. Jamal, how you doing? Uh, doing a lot better than the team, I'll tell you that. But uh, d- doing good. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, Jamal, always uh, appreciate the time. All right, I'm asking everybody this. The simplest question, but probably the hardest to explain. How did this happen from 8-3 and three to lockers being cleaned out? Look, this team, they overestimated what they were. And the mistakes that were there when they were 8-3, and three, are the same mistakes that killed them down the stretch and helped them finish one and five. Uh, they overestimated. They, uh, a lot of it goes on the coaching staff and the front office for overestimating some of the guys that they had in the building and even their coaching abilities to develop young players quickly. They didn't improve from last year, and they said, 
we're going to run it back and see what happens. And they ran it back and got almost the exact same result. I mean, one win shy of what they were a year ago. This time it just didn't, it just wasn't the one win that got them into the playoffs. So uh, not a whole lot different ending. And they just decided to run it back after last year. And now you see, okay, well, this team is an eight-win team, a nine-win team without much help. So we'll see if they decide to, you know, not just run it back this time and, and make some some changes, some real changes. You know, I've heard terms today like arrogance, uh, which is uh, quite a term, uh, about not signing any free agents last year. Literally, like you said, running it back with the same guys. Looking back in hindsight, do you believe it was arrogance on the franchise's part? Um, I think some of it is philosophy. I think Trent, as a general manager, is on the cheaper side. He doesn't want to push money forward until it's that time because, yeah, that is literally mortgaging the franchise's future as you start pushing that money forward. I think they thought that Calvin Ridley was going to be the 1,300 or 1,400 yard a year receiver that he thought he was going to be as well. Um, and I, I think they, I think there was some arrogance there though. Cause I think they were overestimating what this coaching staff would be able to do with these young players because they want to be this draft and develop team, which if you're going to be a good team and stay good, you have to be, but you can't start banking on that until you've drafted and developed and you're ready to be at that part of the process. They were betting on all these guys taking this next step just cause Oh well, now they are a year in the system. We've had our, we've had a chance to work with them for a whole off season. Oh, they're all going to be all pros, and nobody's batting that clean of a record with draft picks or with player development. So you can't just bank on that as this is what's going to get us to the next level. All of our guys are all of a sudden going to be pro bowlers or all pros and just take this huge jump because of the coaching staff. Yeah, that that's a level of arrogance. Jamal St. Sair of Channel 4 here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. The Jaguar season comes to an end, 9-8, and eight, same regular season record this year as they had in 2022. Jamal, Trevor Lawrence, biggest topic in the city today, or certainly one of the biggest topics. Uh, where are you with Trevor? Do you have concerns moving forward? Um, Look, you, you have to have some concerns because the turnovers have been popping up there repeatedly. But overall, I think the offense was just – it was just out of sorts. It was crumbling around him. You can still see the flashes there, but at some point, you need that light to come on and stay on. And we can argue back and forth about whether or not it was it's the offensive line that's failing him. But he's not – he's good out of structure, but he's not as good out of structure as we see from other quarterbacks today that are able to elevate be past that bad offensive line, the Patrick Mahomes, and the C.J. Strouds. If we're going to ever find out if Trevor Lawrence is that guy and the guy that everybody really expected him to be and he can do it without the turnovers and do it consistently and really be that guy, he's going to need a good offensive line in front of him. He needs time to be back there and do his thing. And that's not out of the realm of reality. I mean, we've seen so many great quarterbacks that have needed that offensive line to hold up for them to be able to do it at a high level. I mean, you think about a lot of the guys up until recently when this out of structure quarterback has become the fad, when you've got the Pat Mahomes and the CJ Strouds, the, the Lamar Jacksons that are able to do things that are almost backyard football ish before it was pocket pass, build the O line, let the guy have time. 
when's the last time you saw Trevor Lawrence really consistently have a, a clean pocket to step up into week to week? Because it hasn't been in the NFL, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and that's the thing. The tackles, I thought, look, I, I'm at the point now where I pay Cam Robinson or I figure out a way to keep him because I think Cam Robinson and Anton Harrison, I'm fine with them at tackle. My problem is guard, center, guard. Um, Luke Fortner, it, it, that's just not working. I think that's putting it mildly. Brandon Sheriff, I think he's old, and, and I don't think that's working. And then at left guard, maybe Ezra Cleveland. I don't know what the situation would be with Walker Little, but the interior of that offensive line, Jamal, I'm going to be nice here. Um, they were bad, and, and that's as nice as I can be. They got to gut it. They got to gut it. None of them can come back. You need three new starters on the inside. Um, I love what Cam brought. I love what Anton did as a rookie. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause on whether or not you bring Cam back, because I love the leadership, the play, the the tenacity he brings, that team, the grit, that edge. Those are all things that I think they can't afford to lose in the locker room. But here's the one reason why I at least have to have the thought process of, can you bring Cam back? I think Anton could be a left tackle in the NFL and a really good one. And if you have the opportunity to have a cost-controlled rookie contract on the left tackle for the next – for four more years, because he's only one year in and you got a fifth-year option. If you, you could have a rookie contract starting at left tackle, and if he plays well there for four years, that frees up a whole lot of money to do things elsewhere on that team. So that that's the only reason that ge- it gives me a little bit of pause about whether or not to bring Cam back, because I just think Anton could be that good. That's interesting, because you're the second person today I've heard say that. Um, do you think that'll be one of the, the talking points this offseason, moving Anton from right to left, and then presumably, I guess, you would put Walker Little at right tackle? Uh, look, I think it's a possibility. Here's, the thing is, like I said, I think Anton's really good. I think that's an option for this team. The only thing that you have to start talking about is can they afford to lose as much leadership as we're talking about all in one file swoop? Because remember, they brought Brandon Sheriff in. They never said he was a long-term piece. They said he's a culture setter. So they brought him in here to help set the culture in the locker room. He's a leader on this team. Cam Robinson is a leader on this team. When we start talking about defense, people want to throw around some of the veteran players on the defense, veteran starters, as all it's time to move on from him and you can move up this young player. Well, those guys have years of experience. And at some point, Doug and Trent and the coaching staff is going to be like, look, we can't afford to lose this much leadership in one foul swoop. So I think that might keep Cam safe, but I I do think it's at least going to be a discussion of, look, if Anton's this good and we can have a cost-controlled left tackle, that's going to save us a whole lot of money. We can go pay for some leadership. You know what I mean? So uh, it's definitely going to be worth the discussion because Anton's got a shot. He's got a shot to be real good. A couple of more for Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4. Jamal, on the defensive side of the ball, you were in Nashville one of the sound bites that really kind of caught me off guard, I guess, and, and Dewey Wingard's never one to mince words. He said something along the lines of there was not a lot of assignment football being played down the stretch. What did you make of that comment? And I mean, what does that tell you about the defense under Mike Caldwell? Uh, look, frustration's been building inside that defensive group for weeks now. Um, I mean, you, 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 you've heard coaches for decades say how they want fans to be loud in the home crowd. And then after a Monday night football game, they're like, well, we couldn't handle the noise. 
and it was a problem in communication. No, the problem is they have some guys that just have been doing the wrong thing out there, and it's been happening all season long. And they have to get to the root of where that problem is. Since the majority of that defense is in their second year together, there's no excuses. So is it that or is it individual players? Is it the position coaches that aren't communicating the message? Or is it Caldwell's system that's too complicated for the guys? That's the decision that they have to go through and figure out. I tend to lean towards more it might be a position coach issue or it's an individual player issue when you got a select group of guys that just seem to not know what's going on on a consistent basis or they just can't physically do what they're being asked to do. You know, we'll obviously have you on pre-free agency uh, because there's a lot to discuss. The, the next order of business, I guess, will be the franchise tag with Josh Allen, and that's coming up in about six or so weeks at the end of February. Let's begin there with both he and Calvin Ridley quickly. Um, they can't let Allen leave, right? I mean, that's going to be a Absolutely franchise not. tag, and that could get sticky with him. Uh, that could be an issue with, you know, his agent and whatnot. And then the Ridley question to me is the most maybe intriguing one of the offseason. Look, uh, Josh Allen, I think it's simple. You got to franchise tag this guy and try and do the same thing you did with Evan, work out the long-term deal over the course. It's like having a hot girlfriend. You don't want her to go talk to any other guys. (laughs) That's what that franchise tag is doing. Make sure that Josh Allen can't go out there and see other people because if he starts seeing other people, people are going to start throwing around money and dollar signs, and the price tag is going to go up even higher than what it already is. So they got to tag him. If he takes that as disrespect, I wouldn't. I'd take that as, look, we want you here so bad. I just want it to be, you know, I want it to be official. I need, I need a, a, you know, monogamy here, just me and you. Um, <laughs> as far as Calvin Ridley, look, I think his is a little bit more interesting. I, my belief going into the season was the plan was to for him to have a big enough season that they would franchise tag him and get just get a long-term deal done with Calvin. Because if they tag him, they could just ask Calvin or, or work out the deal with Calvin to where he signs the deal under the new league year, same way Evan Ingram did, and the, the draft compensation wouldn't go up. If they just sign Calvin outright during free agency, that third-round pick that they owe turns into a second-round pick, which I don't think they're going to be willing to pay. So Calvin is definitely a, is a tougher decision. But the thing with Calvin is – like, yeah, he, this is his first year back in a while. He had over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. And the things that he does well, the second he walks out the door for another team, the Jaguars are going to be immediately chasing behind someone else to do those things. So it's not like they have some in-house solution to replace him. If they had, like, an heir apparent, I'd be like, all right, this is an easy decision. Calvin's the, Calvin's the complicated one because without being able to tag him, you got to offer him something and basically convince him like this deal's good enough that you can go talk to other people, but just don't sign it until the new league year rolls around when everybody else's money is dried up. You know what I mean? So he's got to, they'll have to have a handshake agreement with him. And I just think with free agency rolls around, somebody's going to be receiver desperate and toss some dollar signs his way. Final moments with Jamal St. Sair of Channel 4. Jamal, we got about two minutes to go. Two final questions. Number one, uh, no movement at all last year. We talked about that. They basically ran it back. That will not be the case this year, right? I mean, there are going to be changes to this roster. There's going to be changes to the roster. I think there are going to be changes to the coaching staff. 
I, I think there'll be some shakeups. I think some positional coaches might not be back. Um, and I do think there'll be some, some relatively drastic changes along the way. No way they run it back again. We'll have you on before free agency, so probably a month and a half or so. But as we look back on the 2023 season, I always like to do this when the season ends. When we start talking again about 2024 and, and early March around the Combine, what are going to be your memories about this year? Is it all about the collapse at the end? Is that what's going to stand out to you most? It has to be. I think it's that December that everybody wants to forget. It's supposed to be December to remember. They spent the whole year talking about wanting to play their best football in December and January. And somehow they flipped that on its head and played their worst football in December and January. So, I mean, that that's what the calling card of this season will be. It's the collapse. It's the December that they wanted to forget. It's the this ending loss to the Titans that they didn't even show much fight in. And the five-win Titans at the time were the ones that looked like they had everything on the line. Jamal St. Sarah of Channel 4. Jamal, I know you're busy, man, just getting back from Nashville. We appreciate the time. For people that want to follow you, man, uh, going into the NFL playoffs, obviously the work never stops for you guys at Channel 4. Uh, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me over on Twitter. Uh, my handle is JSTCYRTV, um, and I'm always on on Channel 4 at 6.30, 10, and 11, Monday through Friday. So uh, come hang out with us. Hey, Jamal, appreciate it, man. You joined me a lot this year. I certainly thank you. We'll talk again after the Super Bowl, and we'll start, I guess, trying to reassemble the, the puzzle that was broken this 2023 football season. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, anytime. We got a lot of work ahead. Appreciate you having me on. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Nine o'clock hour has arrived. Glad you are with us. I will tell you, it is a final over at the UNF Arena tonight. My alma mater, the Ospreys, round one of the River City Rumble. They get it done. UNF, a winner tonight over JU. 82-74, I believe, is the final. So UNF goes to two and one in A-Sun play. They blew the Stetson game. They, they had Stetson beat and... Stetson came back and beat him in the final minute, but after that, they beat Florida Gulf Coast. They come home tonight. They beat JU. UNF off to a very good start and a sun play and some bragging rights for the Ospreys tonight as they defeat the JU Dolphins. Coming up later on in the 9 o'clock hour, Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network. We'll talk Jaguars. We'll talk a little AFC South and a little NFL playoffs with him. And coming up in less than 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes, my buddy Mickey Ryan, 104.5 The Zone up in Nashville. As interesting a week it was here in Jacksonville, you could argue it was much more interesting with the Titans, who beat Jacksonville on Sunday and then proceeded to fire Mike Vrabel on Tuesday. And we'll talk to Mickey Ryan at 104.5 The Zone up in Nashville how all that went down. NFL playoffs, Super Wild Card Weekend tomorrow. Cleveland and Houston, that'll be bittersweet for everybody here. That should have been the Jaguars. We thought it was going to be the Jaguars. It's the Houston Texans. They're the champions of the AFC South. That game tomorrow is probably the most up in the air I am of any game of the weekend. Um, I've been going back and forth. To me, it's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. But I'll take experience and I'll take defense in the postseason. 
So give me Cleveland and a nail-biter to beat Houston tomorrow. Uh, the late game tomorrow night, I want to watch it for the weather. They're expecting wind chills of 30 below zero at Arrowhead. Think about this. All the Miami Dolphins had to do was beat the Tennessee Titans about a month ago. They were up two touchdowns with three minutes to go at home on Monday night football. And if they win that game, Miami's playing a game in South Florida this weekend where it's going to be 75 degrees. Instead, they blew that two-touchdown lead with three minutes to go. Now they get to go to Arrowhead where the wind chill will be 30 below zero. Give me Kansas City tomorrow night. Sunday, bad weather in Buffalo expected for the Steelers and the Bills. Give me Buffalo in that one. I think Green Bay keeps it interesting with Dallas. I like Jordan Love, man. He is playing his tail off right now. I just don't think Green Bay has the horses for four quarters. I think it's closer than some think. Give me Dallas over Green Bay. The Rams and the Lions is another one that I could see going either way. I was thinking about going the Rams, and I'm still considering it. But, man, an awful lot of people are going with the Rams. And normally when an underdog is this trendy a pick, that fires up the home team. It's the first home playoff game in Detroit in forever. It's Sunday night. That place will be an insane asylum. Boy, you know what, Denmark? That actually might be tough for the Rams-Lions than the uh, Texans and the Browns. The Rams are good. And they don't have Laporta. Yeah, well, 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 Laporta came back to practice. We had a big brace on his knee. So if he plays, how effective will he be? But you're right, that's a huge loss. I might go L.A., man. If you haven't seen the Rams play, Sean McVay reminded you this year why he is the coach he is. Remember, that team was supposed to be awful, and they have been very good, very surprising. I think the Rams might pull the upset there. And then Monday night, we'll obviously be here with you on Hacker After Dark when the Eagles and the Buccaneers go at it. I'm just going to take Philadelphia. I know they're in free fall, but at some point, you would think talent would win out, and Philadelphia is more talented than Tampa Bay. But it'll be a fun weekend. I'm curious if we're going to enjoy it here in Jacksonville. Like I said, the Texans-Browns will be very bittersweet tomorrow, I would imagine. But six games, 12 teams, should be a lot of fun beginning at 4.30 tomorrow afternoon. Coming up next, let's go to Nashville. Mickey Ryan, 104.5 The Zone up in Nashville. What did that win over the Jaguars do for the Titans last Sunday? What did it do for Derrick Henry and then they up and fire Mike Vrabel two days later. What direction are they looking at for their head coach? Mickey Ryan, 104.5 The Zone in Nashville next on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Well, life comes at you pretty quick. The Jaguars lose five of their last six games to miss the playoffs, and certainly a lot of surprise here in our city. Probably some surprise in Nashville. The Titans make a head coaching move earlier this week and firing Mike Vrabel after six seasons. Let's talk about all of it with my buddy Mickey Ryan. You hear him on 104.5 The Zone up in Nashville, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Mickey, how you doing? Ryan, I'm doing great, but I would certainly like to trade weather with you. We are headed for like a 
couple of 10 degree days up here pretty soon. So if you want to switch jobs anytime, just let me know and you can come and live in cold Nashville. Well, that's, that's a nice thought. It's been about 35 here in the morning, so it's kind of chilly here, but we don't have to deal with anything that you're dealing with. Mickey, before we get into the Vrabel situation, uh, take us back to Sunday. I think for you and I, it probably feels like a month ago already, although it's only been a couple of days. That loss to the Titans has altered the Jaguar franchise. From a Titan point of view, what did that win on Sunday mean to the organization? Um, you know, I think it made a sense of payback for a lot of the fans, especially the way things ended last season with the Jags, you know, knocking the Titans out of the playoffs and ultimately taking a playoff spot in their place. Um, I think fans were excited about that, but it's really interesting, Ryan, because there was a sense of nervousness maybe a little bit about Mike Vrabel's future, but really more about the future of Derrick Henry, who's been the face of the franchise. And, you know, win, lose, or draw, I think everybody who showed up there just wanted to pay respects to, you know, a guy who grew up and, and, and became the man that he is right up the road from you guys in Jacksonville. I think a whole lot of, of Sunday was fans were happy about the win. Some were upset because they want better draft positioning. But – I think it was really just so much about Derrick Henry and possibly seeing him in a Titans uniform the last time. Man, that just really had people emotional on Sunday. He had a great game. Obviously, he went through the Jaguar defense like a hot knife through butter, no question about that. And when he addressed the stadium crowd afterwards, Mickey, and in the postgame press conference, boy, it did seem like the end of the Derrick Henry era in, in Tennessee. It sure did, and then he came in and spoke to the media, as he does after every game. He spent over two minutes thanking every person in the organization by name, the people in the kitchen and the people in the equipment room. And, you know, people, I think a lot of maybe casual fans didn't even know who they were, and he thanked all of them. It felt a whole lot like a farewell. And I think the fact that the Titans did beat a rival and knocked him out of the playoffs – he did it in a physical manner, like you said, with Derek running the ball the way he did. To me, that was just all the cherry on the top for Titans fans for, you know, what what was a very bittersweet day. Yeah, Mickey Ryan, 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. The Jaguars have fired 10 coaches since the loss to Tennessee just a couple of days ago, including defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. It was a huge win for Mike Vrabel, and yet, it didn't seem to matter, Mickey. We had heard all the rumors about New England and would there be a trade and everything that has gone on up there. And then at the end of the day, Mike Vrabel simply fired by Titans owner Amy Adams Strunk. Yes, and, you know, I heard you mention the word surprise. and I probably got, I don't know, 50-something text messages yesterday, and literally almost everybody led with that. And, Ryan, you've been doing this a long time. You know that in sports, anything can happen. You know, an owner uh, uh, can can fire a coach or a coach can cut a player or any different thing can happen. And there's been so much smoke around Mike Frabel and he really hasn't dispelled anything. So you've got a lot of national media members who continue to put out things. And we all know that comes from agents and various people who are either close to the coach or player or close to the the organization so it felt like something was going on and i don't know how jaguars coaches have traditionally done it titans coaches usually speak the monday 
after the final game of the season, probably the same in your market. And you listen to the coach and then you go and talk to the players as they clean out their lockers. And we received no word that Mike Grable would speak, but that you could come to locker clean out. That was telling. And Will Levis, most everybody else had two or three people around him, but we were able to get Will Levis. So you know how that is with the quarterback. Everybody goes and stands around him. And somebody asked him about, you know, do you want to keep the same staff intact, meaning the quarterback coach, the OC? And he talked about continuity. And somebody said, what do you think about these rumors of Mike Vrabel? And Levis said, well, when I got questions, I go to the man himself, and that's what I did. So one of the other reporters there, Joe Rex wrote, asked, so have you talked to him? And what did he say? He said, well, he said, he'll tell us when he knows something. Well, my gosh, right? This is a coach who's under contract, who, you know, won his final game, who we haven't heard from yet. And his quarterback says, yeah, when he knows something, he's going to let us know. Well, that told everybody in the room, there's a lot of uncertainty here. And certainly there turned out to be because less than 24 hours later, we found out he was fired. And Mickey Ryan, 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. Look, don't get me wrong. This is more probably for us in the media. I'm not sure exactly how much the fans care about this. But the Jaguars have, in the past, not so much anymore, but in the past they have done some head-scratching things. But for Amy Adams Strunk, the Titans owner, to have a five-minute sit-down interview on the Titans' website getting loft up, getting softballs lobbed to her, and then to have Rand Carthon be stuck out there and have to answer all the questions at a 32-minute press conference, I thought was an interesting way for the Titans to handle that situation. You ever go to one of those steakhouses where they bring out the meat on the end of a stick and they just carve you a couple of slices of it? That was essentially how Rand Carthon got served up yesterday. You know, he just came out. They just sent him out there to answer questions. A lot of things he did no comment, but he didn't offer much on. And, you know, as, as one of my colleagues put it, man, that was like 35 minutes of him not saying anything. And somebody added, gosh, he'd be great in politics. <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of things, Ryan, though, that he felt like, I can't answer that. I can't say that. This is not my place to answer that. He didn't say any of that. He gave answers, but he was really handcuffed by what he could say. But I think one of the biggest takeaways was he was asked, essentially, what's the vision of this team? And he, and he said, well, you know, we know it, but we can't tell you yet. Somebody said, what is, you know, what does that even mean? Like, you, you have to have a vision. I said, well, when we hire the coach, that's what we're going to let it loose on everybody or something along those lines. And, I mean, I don't care if you're selling hot dogs on the beach in Jacksonville or, you know, you're making Nissans over here in Smyrna, Tennessee. It doesn't matter what your personnel changes are. You should have a philosophy. And he was reluctant to say it. That's really – of all the things that he didn't answer, that's probably the one that has people most scratching their heads. Why not just say it? Mickey, to, my, to me, and I said this a couple nights ago, I thought that the firing of Mike Vrabel was the first good news Jacksonville has had this week. Getting him out of the division, that guy was awesome against the Jaguars. You saw that on Sunday. I think he's a good football coach. And whether Tennessee made a mistake or not is yet to be seen. But from a Jaguar point of view... I can tell you that I'm happy we're not going to have to deal with him twice a year anymore. You know, it's funny, Ryan. Sometimes a coach gets fired and the fan base rejoices. And probably you look no further than when Urban Meyer was cut loose down in Jacksonville after all the things that, that the team and the fan base went through while he was the coach. Um, 
there's a lot of people up here who had really strong feelings about what happened yesterday. I don't, there's a small minority of people who, because of the last two years or because the Titans kind of remained a, a team that was reliant on running the ball and running the clock and Derrick Henry, there were some people who thought, hey, I, I want a more innovative offensive approach by this team. But I would think the overall consensus is even here that the Titans fired a very good football coach in Mike Vrabel. And also, I, you know, I, I'm driving into Nashville right now. I would imagine everybody in their car thinks that guy's going to be unemployed. You know, a popsicle can melt faster in the sun than he's going to be, you know, won't melt as fast in the sun as he'll be unemployed because of how good of a coach that he is. Final moments with Mickey Ryan of 104.5 The Zone up in Nashville. Mickey, we'll have you on hopefully this offseason, but a lot of cap money. I mean, obviously it's going to be a new head coach, and that search process is going to be underway very quickly. You combine that with a top-10 draft pick. I mean, as important offseason as we have here in Jacksonville, boy, you guys have a very important offseason up there as well. Well, you're right, Ryan. You know, now is the time where most teams begin to focus on, do we make changes on the coaching staff? You know, do we, like you said, the Jags have made, they're going to make several changes, already started that process. That's what teams are typically doing now. And you start the process, which you do all year, but you really, you focus now if it's your off season on acquiring the new players for your team, free agents or, or draft picks. So, you know, the Titans are, well, like you said, they've really added a lot to their workload when you add find a head coach to that list. So it's going to be a real interesting offseason. They've got to find uh, the head coach. They're going to have to – and you know how that goes. Typically when a new guy comes in, he's going to hire new strength and conditioning, and he's going to hire uh, all of his assistants. I don't know how many of these guys will wind up sticking around. So uh, they do have money to spend. They do have a high draft pick. But, my gosh, they got a lot of work to do before they even start to really focus in on that stuff. You get Mickey Ryan alongside former Titans All-Pro Safety Blaine Bishop, 104.5 The Zone, middays up there in Nashville, Tennessee. Mickey, I know you're busy this week, man. Thank you for taking time out. We'll do it again sometime this offseason. Ryan, it is always fantastic catching up with you, and uh, love all the pictures you post on social media and keeping up with you and your family, and you guys just keep living the good life down there, and we'll talk again soon. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season, amazingly, is over. After losing five out of six, they fall to the Tennessee Titans on Sunday, and now where do we go from here? That's the question we're going to try to answer this week and moving forward with that. Let me bring in Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network, does a terrific job covering the National Football League and he's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dalton, thank you for taking time, man. How are you? I am fantastic, and I'm very sorry for everybody in the Jacksonville area, in Duval County, uh, who is a Jacksonville Jaguars fan right now. I feel I feel very badly for all of you. Dalton, look, we, we got the local perspective down here, and we've been getting that a lot this week. You're a, a national guy for uh, a national website, so you cover the league uh, entirely. What did you see in the last six weeks, man? I mean, what happened here in Jacksonville? 
Yeah, I mean, it was kind of just a, a conglomeration of all of the issues that they had most of the season offensively. And then the defense kind of falling apart late in the year, um, you know, especially it seemed like against the run, they really struggled to to consistently get stops. I, I think that the pass rush is, you know, well on its way to being, you know, one of the better units in the NFL. I think with, you know, the combination of Josh Allen, um, uh, oh, why can't I think of his name right Trayvon, now? The yeah, number Trayvon one Walker. overall pick Trayvon Walker. Um, and, and listen, Walker has a long ways to go still as a, you know, pass rushing threat um, but he's already a really good football player he is a very good run defender and I think that when you look at that that second level uh, those linebackers who were incredibly athletic and, and I think really good playmakers it, it was kind of a wonder that they struggled so much against the run late in the year um, but it, it mostly just comes down to at the end of the day your quarterback got a little bit banged up the offensive line underperformed all year in my opinion um, and not only did that underperformance hurt him physically, it really, you know, hindered his mental state. I think all year um, he was skid- not skittish in the pocket. I-, I think that Trevor Lawrence is one of the best players when it comes to being able to navigate pressure and things of that nature. But he was so quick to get the ball out. There was just no explosiveness to that offense because he had to get the ball out so quickly. So the offense was very one dimensional because of that. Um, and then once he got a little bit banged up, it took some of his dynamicism, dynamicism out. And uh, I think that he really started to struggle after that. And we saw that offensively. Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network. Dalton, there's a lot to dissect. You mentioned Trayvon Walker. He is one of the positives, right? From three and a half sacks yeah. to 10 sacks. That is a giant leap from year one to year two. And we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, first and foremost, let's get to Trent Balky. Now, I'm not saying they're going to dress up as clowns again anytime soon, but it is as if last year, Dalton, they went 9-8, and eight, they won that playoff game, they went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs, and Balky said, we're good, we're good, because they didn't do a thing in free agency last year, mm-hmm. nothing. They got Calvin Ridley at the trade deadline, and you could argue their biggest free agent acquisition was Brandon McManus, the kicker who Denver cut in May, and that's it. They didn't sign a pass rusher. The, you know, DeAndre Hopkins wasn't even a thought here. Boy, how good was he for the Titans? Uh, Trent Baalke, to me, has got some explaining to do about that. Yeah, and when you look at this defense especially, and, and I, I kind of applauded them for kind of sticking with a lot of, of those guys and kind of running it back because early in the season, that defensive continuity looked to really improve that unit overall. They were playing some really good football early in the year. But towards the end of the year, I think some of those warts started to show defensively. Um, And not going out and attacking free agency was an issue for me at the time. You know, when you get into the season and the results are really good, you kind of, you know, put your foot in your mouth a little bit. But I do think they rested on their laurels a little bit this past offseason because I think that they thought they could walk away with this division. And when you look at the structure of this division overall, I think that that was a pretty safe assumption going into the season. You couldn't have ever fathomed that the Texans would go from the second pick in the NFL draft with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback and get to where they are right now. And without CJ Stroud playing out of his mind and at close to an MVP level, as a rookie, that doesn't happen because that defense isn't very good. That unit still has a long way to go, and they still have a lot of growth to undergo. With Indianapolis, you just never expected Gardner Minshew 
to be able to to will that team to nine and eight at the end of the day. So I think that they rested on their laurels, you know, get into the playoffs, get healthy. Um, and it just didn't really work out for them in the end because their competition within the division was better than they expected. The draft picks have been terrible, too. And, look, we're piling on this week, but they deserve it. That was a fiasco the last six weeks of the year. This is not a slight on this guy. Chad Mooma is a prime example, and I like Chad. I've interviewed him a bunch. This is not against Chad Mooma. This is against Trent Baalke. They drafted Chad Mooma with the 70th pick in the 2022 draft. High-end third-round selection. You would not know Chad Mooma was on the team yesterday unless it was kickoff and punt coverage. He doesn't get on the field because they also drafted Devin Lloyd, who's playing in front of him. They wasted a third-round pick. You go to the 2023 draft, Dalton. Brenton Strange had like 40 yards yeah. receiving this year. <laughs> Tank Bigsby, their goal line back. They drafted him for short yardage. He's not in the game on the biggest short yardage play of the year, and he's a third-round pick. That is horrific drafting by Trent Baalke. Yeah, and you you know you drafted a right tackle that was always going to take a little bit of time to develop as well, and you didn't really have a very good backup plan at right tackle for that. And I know that we went into the season and Walker Little was you know kind of a guy left right tackle. You can kind of do whatever, but then you ended up needing him at left guard because they didn't really address you know the the interior of that offensive line very well. I didn't think until they went out and got Ezra Cleveland, um, and you know with injuries and attrition on the offensive line, you really need that uh, that depth you know, on the O-line. But, yeah, when you look at the draft class overall um, and you go back to Chad Muma, especially when you already had Floyd Assad, you know, on the roster, you had Devin Lloyd drafted earlier in the first round there. There's only so many linebackers that you could play on the field at one time. And we're in an NFL environment now where most of the time there's one linebacker playing. I mean, if you look at the Dallas Cowboys, there's no linebackers playing half of the time because after LVE got hurt, they – pretty much just moved a safety down there and had him play there. The, the league is getting smaller. The league is getting faster. And I think that's why they drafted Chad Mubel because he tested out of the freaking waters because he is a freak athlete. But I think especially at the linebacker position, linebacker and safety are the two big ones where I think athleticism, just pure athleticism matters much, much less than at other positions. Because if you are a half second slower mentally to trigger to what is happening, you're going to be slower than the guy that runs a 4.8 if you run a 4.3. That's just the way that it goes. So I do think that you know going after guys who know how to play football on the second level and the third level on the inside is really important. And it, it's kind of unfortunate to see wasted draft picks. Um, you know, Tank Bigsby, I, I thought that he looked good in the preseason. I really thought that he was going to get a little bit more run, especially because this team can't run the football. And that's partially because of the offensive line issues as well. But I just – it's hard to look at what happened with the Jags this season, especially with how they were playing defensively early in this season, thinking the offense will get around. They have a really good offensive play caller. They have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball at the skill positions. They're going to turn it around. And it just never happened. And I don't think that you can really look at it in any other way than being an abject disaster of a season for them. A couple of more for Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network. Dalton, they lost five out of six to end the year. Those five losses came against Jake Browning, Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson. You could argue the defense played its best against Lamar, ironically enough. 
Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill. And they made Ryan Tannehill, Baker Mayfield, Joe Flacco, and Jake Browning look like freaking all pros. All right, so the defense has all sorts of issues. The offense, uh, the offensive line is just awful. They are just awful. Yeah, they, they had a motivation T-shirt in training camp, 31st in the league, because one of the websites had ranked them 31st. Well, no, they were given the benefit of the doubt. They are the worst offensive line in the league. It should have been 32nd. Um, so you go 8-3, and three, and then you lose 5 out of 6, Dalton. You've covered the league for a while, man. Someone's going to fall on the sword for this, right? I mean, there's going to be some head rolling down there, is there not? I think that there pretty much has to be at this point, and I don't know who it's going to be. Um, I'm not, you know, close enough to the situation to know exactly what direction they might want to go. Um, but you already saw it in Philadelphia. It happened very fast in Philly uh, with Sean Desai. They said, hey, this defense is not playing well. We are skidding terribly right now. Sean Desai, you are demoted, and we're going to promote Matt, Matt Patricia. Now, it didn't help in season, and they're going to have to you know, find an answer on the defensive side of the ball in Philly. But that same sort of thing is going to have to happen um, in Jacksonville. Now, the defensive side of the ball is a little bit tough because I do think at the third level they, they could use a little bit of help, you know, especially opposite, not opposite of, of Tyson Campbell, but in the slot specifically. Um, I think that they have decent talent on the defensive side of the ball. But the, the, the thing with defense that makes it so interesting is you need to be able to match your scheme to the talents that you have. And you can't really mix and match talent unless you're going to be able to run a very multiple defense. And so you need to find a guy who's going to be able to come in and fit his scheme to the players that are on campus right now. And if you can do that, if you can put Darius Williams in the correct positions to succeed and Tyson Campbell, because Tyson Campbell I thought was on the path to being a star corner for them. And then things kind of fell apart late in the season. And and that comes down to just kind of how hard it is to play that position at the NFL level. You get beat a couple of times against some really good competition. And if your confidence craters at all, you're going to get beat pretty badly. Cornerback specifically is a position where you have to have that goldfish mentality that they talked about in Ted Lasso. And if you start to doubt yourself, you're going to doubt what you are doing, and then you're going to slow down a little bit. I think that you saw that a lot, again, going back to Philadelphia with James Bradbury this year. Maybe he was falling off the athletic cliff, but once he started to get picked on a little bit, it was over for him, and it was over for that Philadelphia defense at that point. So I think that you need to have heads roll because this was a division, and I talked about it multiple times on this show, that they should have walked away with. They should have walked away with this division. There's no excuse for the offense to be as bad as it was, even with the offensive line being as bad as it is. Trevor Lawrence is a guy who can get the ball out quick, find his, his playmakers, but something offensively just did not work for them this year. There's no doubt about that. The scheme, they had 11 completions against Tennessee that went for five yards or less. I, I don't understand that for the life of me in today's NFL. Uh, and, again, there, there are issues there as we wrap things up with Dalton Miller. Dalton, I saved the most important question for last. Uh, where are you with Trevor Lawrence? Because I look in the AFC going into this offseason, and I see Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrows coming back healthy, Tua, C.J. Stroud, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson's going to come back healthy. I don't know if I put Trevor above any of those guys. And if you don't put him above any of those guys, 
that would put him in the bottom half of quarterbacks in the AFC? Um, I, I think you definitely put him in front of Deshaun Watson unless Watson goes back to being the Houston Deshaun Watson because he was legitimately pretty terrible for, for Cleveland outside of his final game. Um, and it's tough to kind of take a one-game sample size and, and believe in that moving forward. Uh, but you're right. There's just an incredible amount of, of quarterbacking talent in the AFC looking up and down. And so it, it does beg the question what you do with Trevor Lawrence long term. I, I think that you try to you, you try to improve the situation around him, throw every asset that you have at that offensive line and try to build his confidence again. Because I, I think when you look at him as a talent, the, the things that he does innately as a quarterback are things that you can't teach guys. And that is what made him the number one pick. That's what made him, for some people, a generational level talent. It's the innate ability that he has within the pocket to create um, the fluidity that he has and the ability to make plays. But something just hasn't clicked with him at this level all of the time. There have been minor inconsistencies, especially with his ball placement at times, which is something that we did not see at the college level. And some of it might be just that he doesn't trust what he's seeing out there, but it's really wacky because he does the hard things really, really well. And he does the easy things bad. He doesn't like the check downs. When he does check down, he gets his running backs and his wide receivers killed. We saw that a lot against Tennessee. Dalton, we'll hopefully do this again around Super Bowl time. we got 90 seconds to go. Of the teams still playing, the teams that matter in the NFL, of course the Jaguars are not among them, uh, what do you think, uh, AFC, NFC? Is it as clear as Baltimore and San Francisco, and it would be a surprise if it was anybody else? You know, I, I think it's as clear as in the NFC as I think it's ever been. San Francisco just outclasses the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles and the Detroit Lions. But I think in the AFC side of things, I think the Cleveland Browns are, are legitimately a, a contender because of what they can do defensively. They can match up with literally anybody because of the talent that they have on that side of the ball. And all Joe Flacco needs to do is throw a couple passes downfield, hope for a couple defensive pass interferences or a couple of big plays and then they can score 21 to 24 points and win most football games because of how good that defense is. So I think that they are kind of the dark horse in the AFC. Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network. Dalton, give PFN a little love for Jaguar fans looking to pick up the pieces this offseason. What can they expect over at Pro Football Network? Hit uh, Guys, hit up that mock draft simulator. We update that thing all of the time with the talent in the NFL draft class and see if you guys – can go and outclass Trent Baalke. <laughs> well, that might not be that difficult, Dalton, but I appreciate <laughs> uh, letting people know that. And, yeah, it's it's mock draft time here in Jacksonville, no question. Dalton, appreciate it, man. We'll dial your phone again right around the Super Bowl. Thanks as always, bud. Yep, thanks for having me. And thank you to Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network for joining us here on Hacker After Dark as – the season for the Jaguars is over. It's been quite a week trying to ask the question why. We will certainly move on to additional questions. But what a week it's been for not only for the Jaguars, for the National Football League, and really for the entire sports world. My big takeaway of the evening here on Hacker After Dark. Well, it's all about the playoffs tomorrow, right? I'm curious. Jaguar fans, are you going to watch? Are you gonna, Is it going to be bittersweet uh, particularly the Cleveland and the Houston game right out of the gate tomorrow as the AFC South champion Houston Texans 
take on the Cleveland Browns. Wow, what a mouthful that is. Absolutely incredible that we got here. Incredible the collapse that the Jacksonville Jaguars had from 8-3 and three to out of the playoffs. And, uh, boy, it'll be certainly bittersweet, I think, for a lot of us tomorrow as we watch Super Wild Card Weekend tomorrow, Sunday, and, of course, Monday night. Well, that'll just about do it. It's been a very busy night. It's been a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, thank you to Dalton Miller of Pro Football Network for joining us. Thank you to Mickey Ryan. 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. The Titans ended the Jaguar season last Sunday. They then proceeded to fire head coach Mike Vrabel on Tuesday. It's been a pretty crazy week in Nashville as well. Thank you to Mickey Ryan for joining us. Thank you to Jamal St. Cyr of Channel 4 for stopping by to put a wrap on the Jaguar season. And my buddy Ben Troop, former All-American tight end at the University of Florida. We talked a little bit about Billy Napier and the Gators, but primarily just got Ben's thoughts on the Jags and kind of where they go from here. Certainly want to thank all those gentlemen for joining me here tonight. We'll be back next Monday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock as we kick off a new week here on Hacker After Dark. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the Hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending your Friday evening with us and your entire week with us here on Hacker After Dark. We do certainly appreciate it. As far as the Super Wild Card games tomorrow and the rest of the weekend, give me Cleveland and Kansas City tomorrow. Give me Buffalo, Dallas, and the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday and then give me Philadelphia on Monday night. Of course, we'll be on the air for Hacker After Dark during that Philadelphia-Tampa Bay ball game. But I think the Rams go into Detroit and pull off what would be considered a pretty big upset. I think the game tomorrow between Cleveland and Houston is fantastic, but ultimately give me the experience of Joe Flacco against the young up-and-comer in C.J. Stroud. Have a terrific weekend, Jacksonville. So for all of us here on Hacker After Dark, have a great remainder of your Friday evening, and we will talk to you again Monday night beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.